Volume 2, Issue 91, El Shaddai, Ascension of the Metatron. Ignition Tokyo with Okami's Takiyasu Suwaki at the helm set out to tell a tale that possibly took place 360,000 years ago or 14,000 years ago, we're not entirely sure. Drawing from Christian and Judaic mythology and specifically the Book of Enoch, El Shaddai Ascension of the Metatron combines combo-driven gameplay with a wildly creative aesthetic to portray Enoch's mission to return the seven fallen angels to heaven. Joining me, Joshua Garrity, this issue, James Carter. That was it, that was me snapping my fingers, did you get oh, that? Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that. Uh, Carl Moon. Hey, guys. And special guest making his second appearance on Cain yeah. and Rince, uh, <laughs> from Midnight Resistance and Joy, uh, Joypod, Sean Bell. Evening. issue a massive spoiler warning before we say anything uh el shaddai has a really weird and complex plot and it is spoilable so if you haven't played the game go off and play it now it's not that long it's about eight hours go play it and then come back and listen to the podcast um like with every uh canaan rinse issue we like to start with our histories uh with this game uh were we anticipating it were we you know counting down the days uh until its release uh i'd like to start with sean okay go on then um so i was really intrigued by this um just from the trailers and stuff obviously the art style and everything uh was pretty interesting and just the idea that you know this Japanese studio had been pretty much formed just to make this game um because the someone at ignition wanted a game that was based on you know this this weird apocryphal text um it's just such just a, like such a completely odd setup for a game um and then I played the demo and absolutely hated it I don't know about anyone else but um the, yeah, the demo, I wasn't keen on it either. Yeah, the demo did so little to showcase what was actually interesting about the game. Um, and yeah, and then it was only like a, you know, a while later the game came out and I was a, pretty much forced into reviewing it for a website I used to write for. Um, and I didn't really want to do it. Um, and ended up totally falling in love with it, to be honest. Um, was really impressed and you know, I wrote one of the two like really positive reviews of the game that ended up on the internet. Um, 
So yeah, I ended up becoming a huge fan. Uh, James? Um, I played the demo, so I, I'd gone from very interested in the game to, as you guys just indicated, not very interested in the game uh, in the space of that, I don't know, 15-minute demo or so. Maybe a bit more than that, but um, yeah, I just think the section of gameplay that they pulled out was about the worst they could have chosen in the game, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Not least of all because it had the stretch of platforming that has black spots on the floor that are either not shiny and you can fall through them or are shiny and you can walk on them. And it's really difficult to tell which are which. So it was a lot of falling out of the, uh, falling off the, uh, the path you're walking on and just really frustrating. Re- like really frustrating. So uh, that completely put me off uh, until just this year. I've, I've literally finished it, um, finished it on thursday and then i just played through the last few levels again today because um i think from probably level chapter five onwards is uh, is really great stuff so can't wait to talk about that uh carl i feel like we must have covered a lot of games from 2011 because this is the same story i often tell it's that in 2011 i was obviously i was working away um away on the ship so it was a case that I didn't have a whole lot of time to play games because at times I'd be away for over a month so it was a case that instead of playing games I would sort of read magazines and articles because we had no real internet on the ship so I would stock up and I was sort of listing all the games out that seemed remotely interesting or different um, and, and and they were the ones that I was going to play when I got home and obviously El Shaddai stood out for very obvious reasons and as someone, I, I, I went to college, I studied art, and I went to university and did art and games design, and it, all that sort of resonated with how they were describing El Shaddai, and I thought, I can't wait to play this game. It seems like everything that I would love in a game. I love the genre, I love, you know, adventurous, risky, brave graphic styles, games that aren't necessarily just purely going out of the way to... to be ideal for a core audience. It was it was very niche and it never sort of hid it. So after a particularly long session away from a, from from home, um, I contacted a friend and she she was actually reviewing it. So she said, "Well, I'll give you my copy." So I thought, oh, brilliant. So she she sent it along and I, and I played it and um, I got about two and a half chapters in and I left it for eighteen months. <laughs> and <laughs> big fan then. It was it was more for, it was more for my sanity uh, than anything. And <laughs> uh, it's one of those games I wish I'd played the demo. Um, and I don't think it's any coincidence because I'm pretty sure the level that you guys have described from the demo, which I've never played, was the level that I last played before I left it for 18 months. And yeah, it would have been. I, th- yeah. I thought mm. I'm going to play this through for the podcast. I, I'd, I'd said I wanted to. To be on the show, it was, it was a game that I was interested in for numerous reasons, mainly because, obviously, any game that tries to have any form of artistic flair, I'm going to be interested in, regardless of the genre. And uh, I thought, well, I, I really should complete it, so I played it, and I think I finished it either the very beginning of this month or the, the end of last month, yeah, just in time for the show, but obviously my original playthrough was in 2011. As for me, I... 
was really, really excited for this game all the way ba- uh, back when it was originally called Angelic Ascension of the Metatron uh, when it was announced in 2007 and Lucifer looked a lot like Jude Law creepily <laughs> in that trailer. Um, so he's gone from Jude yeah. Law to a fat-faced Val Kilmer. <laughs> well, okay. he, he looks like the um, Sherpa from Entourage played by Val Kilmer. It's uncanny. It's almost creepy. <laughs> okay, I'll take your word for it because I, I I don't know what you're referring to. But anyway, I, every trailer, everything, every piece of information about this game had me, you know, really excited for this release. I mean, you got the guys from Clover working on this game, you know, who worked on Okami. Okami is one of my favorite games of all time. Uh, I really love that uh, shell. Uh, sorry cell shaded aesthetic um and it was a combo driven you know action game like devil may cry which is a genre that's really close to my heart um but when it came out well first of all there was the demo which kind of disappointed me i was like okay this isn't what i was really hoping for and then i bought it on release um it was 2010 this game came out wasn't it i believe uh, no. or was that 2011 um, was on the end of the credits today, so I'm not sure if it was 2010 elsewhere or maybe 2011 Europe or something. Okay, maybe it's a European uh, yeah, 2011 no. release. Mm. But um, anyway, I, I, you know, I played it uh, when it first came out, and, and I think this is important for the uh, podcast. I was initially really disappointed playing it for the first time through, um, and. I know that uh, Bayonetta was quite a, a distance away from its release, but I had fallen in love with Bayonetta, and I'm sorry, El Shaddai. Like, I, I like your combat system now, but with, with having Bayonetta so fresh in my head at the time, it was like, uh, it doesn't quite compare to that. Um, but playing it through again more recently, um, I still have problems with the game. Um, but the things that I did feel positively about it uh, initially have, um, I don't know, they've just, they stand out to me more uh, this time through. And I'm, I'm going to be, it's going to be interesting to talk about them as we get into the uh, podcast. Now, the story for El Shaddai Ascension of the Metatron is a weird and complex uh, <laughs> tale. Um, and it draws its inspiration from a really unusual place, a place that video games rarely um, draw inspiration from. We do have games based on religions, but they're usually based on, you know, Norse mythology or Greek mythology. It's it's rare that you get a game that's based on uh, Judaic Christian mythology, at rarer still to have it based on a branch of Judaic and Christian <laughs> mythology that most reli- you know most religion Christian religions and uh, Jewish re- uh, Jewish religions don't even acknowledge as a part <laughs> of uh, their religion. I-, I did some research for the podcast and I found out that only two churches consider this canon um, uh, as a part of their religion. I'm not going to try and attempt to pronounce those churches' names because they're long and complex. But anyway, that that gives you an idea of how obscure this fiction is um would would uh james would you just like to give a back of the box summary of you know the plot setup for el shaddai ascension of the metatron 
Thank you, Josh. That, that's that's really kind of you. Perhaps an enema you could follow this up with. Um, okay, so the the basic the basic setup is that obviously um, the heavens comprises God and and the tiers of angels. Um, seven of those angels have um, fallen to earth um, and have encouraged humanity to build the tower of. I'm going to say Babel. Some people pronounce it Babel. We'll go with it. Um, and instead of the Tower of Babel being a conduit through which the people on earth are going to contact God, um, either the angels have tricked them into believing that's what it is. It's actually a monument to these fallen angels so that they can um, basically uh, produce Nephilim, which are the offspring of humans and angels. So they are down there in, in this tower producing Nephilim, which God sees as as an affront to him and to his his. Uh, earth that he's created and humanity and uh, the heavens etc so it becomes lucifer's task to um see, or he takes it upon himself to see if there is a way to uh send these fallen angels back up to heaven to pay for what they did and to to sort of wipe the slate clean with the nephilim in order to avoid god and the other powers of heaven uh causing a massive flood that will wipe out humanity and everything on earth um that's the solution that god comes up with is a, a just a massive flood um lucifer is trying to see if he can avoid that by sending the angels up otherwise and so he um he basically employs the aid of Enoch, who is a scribe, um, who has spent some time in heaven, but is a man, uh, grandfather of Noah. Um, and uh, Enoch is taken from his, his uh, place where he works as a scribe, which I think is supposed to be in heaven, but he's sent back down to earth. Um, and he is, throughout the course of the game, developing the skills and getting the tools he needs to... Uh, attempt to overcome the fallen angels and overpower them and send them back up to heaven does that sound roughly right because that's what i got from it yeah that sounds (laughs) right to me (laughs) but um um, let's briefly uh well not briefly let's talk about uh lucifer and enoch um Mm. for me lucifer is kind of more so than Enoch, the face of the game, kind of yeah, the, totally. he's yeah. the character who really draws you into the story, and um, I, I I love the way they treat him. Um, just some of the touches, like he's kind of a being who lives outside of time, yeah. so he has all this um, modern technology, like a mobile phone that he uses to contact God, and, and clearly um, some uh, kind of fancy hair product as well. <laughs> oh, and by the way, hello to Jason Isaacs on that note as well. We should, oh, absolutely. We um, yeah, um, Jason Isaacs plays the English uh, language version of Lucifer. Yeah. I personally opted for the Japanese and subtitles. Mm. Um, yeah, not, understandably. Not because, uh, like, I, I think the voice, the English voice acting in this game is actually, you know, pretty decent. Um, yeah, it's great. Yeah, uh, but I, you know, it. I tend to prefer to have Japanese uh, and subtitles when it comes to this sort of game, yeah. um, unless it's a really story-driven game like a JRPG where I'm just going to be reading through reams and reams of text. Um, but yeah, I-, I think they handle him really well. Um, I just I, what I'm trying to think some of the funny dialogue that he has. That like, there's one moment where somebody mistakes him for God. Yeah, and he just gets <laughs> out, gets on his mobile phone again, and he's like, "Yeah, 
someone's mistaken me for you again. <laughs> yeah, stuff like that. Uh, the comments of his that get me are just like, you know, when it finally introduces all three of the weapons, and we'll get onto mm. that in a bit, but. And like you get to the next save point, and you just hear over here him going like, "Yeah, he's he's still trying to figure out which of the weapons to use. He doesn't really get it yet." <laughs> and that's what helps you like understand that there is this whole system in play about switching between the weapons and knowing which to use yeah. in the right situation and stuff. Hmm. Really good. Yeah, I I really like the fact that you can only hear one half of his conversation. So it's a bit like if you're ever sat in a room and there's only like you and one other person, and they get a phone call, and all you can't help but hear their side of the conversation, and you have mm. to try and work out what's going on and the game kind of plays with that because there's a couple of points where he's sort of saying yeah he's he's doing okay mm, he, he's not that bright effectively he's he's <laughs> mocking you but yeah but it's a private conversation he's having so you don't really you know enoch just runs past him and ignores it but it's it's very much all done with a, a heavily sarcastic tone behind what he's mm. saying i think and i love the way they play they play with the knowledge that the 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 uh the audience has that Lucifer will eventually become the devil yeah. and there are several moments where they hint at like this you know darker side to him um mm. particularly where he just leaves is it Am- 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 Amoros. Amoros, yeah. um, where he just leaves him in the darkness to just <laughs> yeah. become corrupted. He's like, well y- you've helped out Bye. You did your bit, yeah. um, <laughs> just um just yeah and it's i, I think he's a Unfortunately, Enoch's kind of just—he's kind of just a cipher for the player, really, isn't he? He's not mm. yeah, really he's, a he's proper character, yeah. um, which in some ways I actually like because it—it kind of feels like you're going on this adventure, and you know, the devil is your guide through this, you know, fantastical world. Um, but because it kind of bothered me slightly i'm usually i'm very much pro silent protagonist but enoch is such a well-designed character visually just very really distinctive look mm. that i kind of felt like he needed a personality yeah. to call his own um uh, is is this just a problem i had or did anyone else I think share that? It, it kind of irritated me the way that like like in the credits he's like the first name like you know his voice actor is the first person that comes up he's got one line of dialogue throughout the entire game that he just repeats yeah <laughs> um so yeah that 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 irritated me a little bit it's like if you're going to make a big deal about who did his voice give him more than one line maybe yeah yeah no i, I definitely felt that um stylistically as well enoch at the start of the game I'm trying to scratch my head and remember, you you, end, you start off in almost like Roman gladiatorial style armor, don't you? Mm. Yeah. And yeah. Like that was, I think, in the trailer as well. And um, and then just like Lucifer, um, when when push comes to shove, and Enoch is actually um, sent back down to start this mission proper, um, you're wearing a pair of jeans, nothing on your top half, and then all these pieces of white sort of um, looks very ceramic armor that go on top of that. So he's got this really sort of contemporary but off the wall kind of look to him, and yeah, it felt like it. Given the the extent that they went to giving Lucifer quite a bit of character, it would have been really interesting to see a bit more dynamic interaction between the two of them at certain points because they could have continued that kind of attitude that Lucifer has towards Enoch yeah. in direct conversation i know it's very funny for him to be aloof and and just having these conversations as you run past but it would have been nice to see enoch you know occasionally interact with him rather than just um almost ignore him because half the point is that there are very few beings that can see lucifer 
and Enoch is one mm-hmm. of them because of his mm-hmm. position and because of the role he's been given. So for mm-hmm. then them not to actually make anything of that was a little bit of a shame, I thought. But mm. um, other characters include the fallen angels. Um, I I would have liked to have gotten to know them a bit better. You do get like. Um, hints of what they're like and um there are certainly uh ones that you get to know better than others um we've already uh talked about i I still can't pronounce his name Armoros. Try to think of who else there is. Yeah, Semyaza. Semyaza is the big one. Then he doesn't even really count. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, Just there's one that just gets eaten by a a a nephilim off screen, and you never get to see him. It's just okay, all right. Um, uh, But um, more interestingly is uh, Nana, uh, who's a, a. to start with is a girl with a pet uh, nephilim and uh, like early on i thought she was just going to be kind of like a you know and they kind of do do this where she's just a damsel in distress kind of character where um it's your job as enoch to go rescue her but later on in the game they do actually do something really interesting with that mm. character um she goes from being like the the most weak and harmless person imaginable to being like a really quite powerful player in the game's narrative mm-hmm. yeah. um thoughts on that yeah at all? I, I quite enjoyed the fact that you know, obviously she went from the helpless girl um and then when you wake up from being han soloed you, you sort of realize that <laughs> She's sort of led the forces in your disappearance. That, that yeah. She, yeah. she's carried on the battle um, in a rather dramatic tearing of the skirt and raising the flag, sort of rampage towards wherever. Um, she was sort of like she was interesting because even though she never really spoke other than sort of the childish banter that you see as a child, and then you sort of realise through the cutscenes the development that her characters had. A lot like you mentioned with Lucifer, you wish you sort of had a bit more interaction with her as a character rather than seeing her, but in mm. spite of that, there is still that interest in the character. Um, yeah. she, she, for me, I found more interesting than, than Lucifer. She was my favourite character in the game, and well, she, was, well, she was a dance like more interesting than Enoch. Well, well, I, I see because Lucifer's kind of just like the background guy who's just commenting on it. He's not really like a proper. He's not really invested in the conflict the way um, mm. other characters are. He's just kind of like, oh yeah, we're gonna get the seven angels up to heaven. Okay, yeah, he's like a visible sort of semi. <laughs> he's a semi narrator throughout the story, isn't he? That, that if ever yeah. you lose your way in the story, you can sort of tune into his half conversations, and it gets you back on track towards the progress of the game and what's actually happening. Because mm. obviously, one of the biggest complaints you'll ever hear about the game is that it, the, the story can be seen as somewhat wayward. Um, mm. And and if you're not really paying attention or you're unable to sort of put two and two together, it, it is very easy to sort of get lost. So in in that regard, Lucifer plays a very important role. And 
Even though I've, even though his finger snapping is beyond annoying by the end of the game. Oh, um, really? Oh, I found it really so, charming. So annoying. I loved it at first. My first thought was, that's a cracking finger click. And then, then by by the end, it was like, I am so, you know, I'm going to shove those fingers so far. That, you know, it was just. <laughs> I love the fact that it does the, does the finger click when you pause the game as well. Yeah, yes, yeah. Yes, and unpause it. <laughs> it does it twice. <laughs> Um, just talking about you know uh, characters who give you extra story uh, details. There's also the uh, the free men who mm-hmm. you know hand you notes, which did help a lot, I think, t- uh, to flesh out the world because yeah. uh, the, the game by and large is pretty vague. And I'm really glad uh, about its plot details, and I'm really glad that I did play f- uh, through this game a second time for the podcast because I feel like a lot of it, uh, a lot of the puzzle pieces fit together in my brain. Not that it's like some kind of complex, like Inception style plot. It's just it doesn't make things clear to you in a way most stories would. Mm. And and I I feel like and I think that kind of um, it th- that's kind of a contributing factor as to why I was disappointed with it first time round, and maybe why I liked it more second uh, more second time round, just because it made so much more sense and character uh, motivations made more sense and so forth and so on. Um, one thing that still kind of doesn't make sense to me is the darkness. Um, <laughs> not because I, I understand what it does and what it does to people, but it it kind of. What is it? I think <laughs> it's it's hell, basically, isn't it? As far as I, right, as far as I okay. can tell, yeah, um, yeah. Because in the what I should say, my my understanding of this mostly comes from Paradise Lost rather mm-hmm. than anything else. And so the story in that is that when um, after all of this story, when the angels fall, including Lucifer as he becomes, they fall to the only place that, that God allows them to continue to exist, which is in the darkness. Um, so it's the underworld, essentially. Um, and the notion is that it it's not that it's, it's alive in and of itself so much, it's just that the despair you feel down there will consume you and will bring out the worst in you, which is why the angels, when they fall down there, become demons and so i guess the idea is similar here it's very much a visual and um and thematic uh notes that they put into the game just to say that enoch has a dark side and when he falls uh into this emptiness that his dark side will will rise and it's similar and that, for other yeah, characters and that can- can happen, can't it? L- at various yeah, points in the game. Of, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I um, always thought. These... Sorry, Sean. Go on. I was just going to say because there's these, these funny, um, like bonus stages you Challenge get drawn levels, into, yeah, and yeah, where you're you're in this sort of pit and you're having to essentially climb your way out as this this darkness seeps up. And if you fall in, you get a sort of weird alternative ending, don't you? Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah the, the, it comes up game over screen, and that's it. Kicks you back to the front menu as if the game is completely well, over. Well, not quite, because because <laughs> it does the thing. Where you sort of run around as as Dark Enoch, but you can't really do anything, yeah, yeah. as far as I'm aware. Um, and then and like the credits roll, and there's some weird mm. music. Um, and then it comes up with like, ah, you know, if you carry on playing, this is what will happen. And because the game is so nuts, it's like every time it's just showing you, like, oh yeah, this is what happens in like the next hour. It's always something completely different to what you've been seeing currently, and it's just like, oh my god, I need to carry on playing. <laughs> and it just seems so odd that it, it does that when you fall into the darkness, but not when you actually just when die, you die normally. Yeah, regularly. Yeah, yeah. It's like a really specific condition. 
Yeah, I enjoyed the darkness. Obviously, the way I saw it was that it was very much sort of a, a visual state of his mind. That you know, if yeah. it was e- it was easier for him to sort of give up and join with the, the dark forces and fight against them. Um, uh, base, quite basic, but the, the levels themselves were fun enough. Um, I, I thought it was it was quite a nice alternate, as, as you said, with how you sort of see it when you die is uh, a lot better than you know having to track and field yourself back alive. Yeah, <laughs> um, I want to talk about the 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 Nephilim because they're a central, uh, you know, plot uh, point of this game. It, you know, the, their existence is the reason why Enoch is going on his mission. Hmm. But the thing is, for something that's built up to be like this ultra serious threat to humanity, they're plastic they're, stuffed they're, condoms. They're, they look ridiculous. Like, they look ridiculous in the best possible way, though. They're so charming. Like um, there's the there's the there's the two D level because um, uh, uh, occasionally um, El Shaddai uh, takes a two dimensional perspective where it's all like fun, kind of colourful blocks, and and you get to see all the Nephilim playing about and having fun times. <laughs> eating you um and stuff like that um and it's just such a contrast to what nephilim are in almost every other game because i'm thinking of um dark siders 2 where uh, death is a nephilim and war is a nephilim and uh, and in the recent dmc where dante and virgil are both nephilim like these are ultra badass people who can fight both angels and demons and are better than both and in this they're just cuddly little plasticine <laughs> thing. So you say that, but the, the the way the visual appearance in El Shaddai is is still at odds with like what they are in the game, isn't it? Because they like even though they look cute and everything, they're these like horribly depressed creatures because because they know that their their very existence is an affront to God. They actually hate themselves, yeah. but they're also yeah. immortal. So they can't kill themselves. So they kill themselves. So they start eating each other instead. <laughs> it's like, so like you yeah. say, on the one hand, they're these sort of really cute, uh, funny creatures, but then it's like they've they've gone absolutely mental because like yeah. they're just absolutely racked with like existential guilt. Yeah. <laughs> it's really strange. <laughs> and, and you do get the uh, fire nephilim, yes. uh, the one instance of the fire nephilim, which is the one time where they do feel genuinely threatening and mm. imposing and you kind of get into, uh you kind of get why god is like these guys are problematic and <laughs> and it's kind of the first time where you're like ah yes i see i see your point god but but it still um, doesn't look like really imposing and and you know dramatic like you would expect such a great boss to do i mean it is by what it's doing and what it can do in that in that boss fight but it still looks like a large piece of rolled up plasticine shoved inside a condom i mean that's just the way they look <laughs> Um, so it's got this this weird juxtaposition where you've got this thing that's ripped out of these sort of plasticine noby noby boy type levels thrown into a boss fight that basically looks like a boss fight you would expect in a bayonetta or a DMC where you're on a platform at the front and there's just this hulking great ridiculous looking thing in front of you that you know fine well will wipe the floor with you first chance it gets. It's a real real strange juxtaposition. It's right in the middle of the game, I think, end of chapter five. So yeah, really bizarre. Uh, and that and that boss fight is followed by the giant floating drill laser. <laughs> Sean, care to explain? Okay, so you fight this boss and you kind of you do a, a fair job of it, but then it, I can't remember if it's actually 
made explicit in a cutscene, but it's basically like you, you can't actually fight this. It's, it's not going to work. It's immortal. Um, <laughs> and then I, I think it swallows you, and you're like flying <laughs> through its guts or whatever. And then Methu- uh, Methuselah appears. Um, or he's, he sort of hangs around a lot for that level, doesn't he? And he sort of makes the odd comment. He's like floating around. <laughs> and he looks like this weird... Um, God, I don't, I don't even know how to describe him. He looks like a drawing that's come to life or something. Like, <laughs> yeah, um, he yeah, looks like, really strange. He's not quite um, animated like you'd expect a real being to be animated either. It's yeah, it's yeah, very yeah, yeah, strange, yeah. But he's Enoch's son from the future, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> um, yeah, and he he just kind of comes back, um, and like Enoch's sort of falling through this uh, Nephilim's guts, and and Methuselah's like, he just says, "Oh, oh, you don't know how to use your power yet, do you?" Um, and he's like, look, it's, it's really simple. And then the heavens open and Sita arrives. And Sita appears to be, um, this, like, floating continent. Um, that then, yeah, sort of has this giant drill on the bottom. And it's got, like, on the top, it's all, like, grassy and it's got trees on it. And then on the bottom, it's like a, it's like a sort of seashell drill on the bottom. Yeah. And then loads of lasers come out of it. And the, this is all just in a cutscene, and then oh yeah, the lasers come out of it and destroy the fire nephilim. Um, now I hate it when games just take control away from me for stuff like that, but in this case, I was just so amazed by what I'd seen that it didn't didn't annoy me at all. Yeah. I was just like, what the hell is going on? It's, yeah, if a game's going to take control away from you, it may as well be for something like that. Something well, where you exactly. just sit back, put the controller down, and think, I've no idea what I'm watching. <laughs> like, literally no idea. Exactly. It's not even remotely connected to anything. And then the characters actually reference it because they're like, what was that? Was that the power yeah. of God? I don't know. <laughs> just yeah, it's, it's, a, it's sort of intentionally not clear if, if it was Enoch that did it or Methuselah or if it was just God stepping in. Um, yeah. yeah, weird. <laughs> And that's it until the very end of the game. There's no more real reference to that at all. Um, yeah. And at the end of the game, it, I think there's a get some comment in the final fight that says, "Should you use the power of God now?" Type thing. But again, mm. you you don't really know how to do it or what you would do in order to call on that. So, yeah, yeah very bizarre. It's. I mean, because it, this whole it, game. I mean, it's it's mentioned in the well. If you understand what mm. the title means, yeah, it's Ascension of the Metatron. It's about Enoch becoming an archangel, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Um, funny thing, I was <laughs> like, I was well, obviously Metatron is such a strange word. I mean, to me, it sounds like a name for an incredible robot. Um, yeah. But <laughs> but yeah, it's it's this really old word that means like a yeah. Is it? Is, I can't remember if the Metatron is a specific like. Is it specific to Enoch or is it just a type of angel? I can't remember. It, it's a it's a specific name, as far as I can tell. Okay. Um, it, yeah, um, he just carries on kind of doing what he already did though to be honest <laughs> yeah he was yeah. a human being a scribe and now mm. he's just an angel being yeah. a scribe it's, it's um, difference. kind of like an unnecessary promote promotion really yeah but as an angel, apparently he can, um... scri- <laughs> he can scribe his ass off though can't he <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um uh, uh, we kind of briefly touched on him but um he's kind of important to the plot um our, <sighs> for god's Amorous. sake Armoros. Armoros. Yeah. Um, we kind of touched on him before, but um, Armoros is really important to the plot because he actually becomes the 
uh, a playable character mm. when uh, Enoch becomes corrupted by the uh, the darkness. Lucifer basically says, "Okay, uh, can you help us out? And maybe I'll put in a good word for God." Is that kind of how it plays out? Is like basically, yeah. yeah you're you're yeah. missing out the most important thing he does, which is disco dance in front of the screen while you're trying to fight a bunch of enemies behind him. Yes, yes, indeed. That's clearly the most interesting thing he does in this game. Yes, it's <laughs> absolutely nuts. <laughs> yeah, I, he he can't talk either. He can only make this like really shrill uh, yeah. screaming noise. And because the the implication is that falling to earth is like actually sort of really harmful to the angels, isn't it? And the yeah. and the, yeah, the implication is that they they've all received sort of various injuries on the way down. And yeah, in Armoros's case, he, he lost his voice. Can't talk, but he learnt the moonwalk. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's fair trade, if you ask me. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, the because the. The relationship with Armoros and Enoch is weird, isn't it? Because Enoch's from Earth, and then he goes up to heaven, and he's allowed to be a scribe up in heaven. And apparently, it's his conversations with Armoros that made Armoros fall in love with the idea of going down to Earth. Um, mm. So yeah, Armoros and Enoch are like best mates. They, you know, they're really good friends in heaven, um, which is why, yeah, when when Enoch uh, falls to the darkness, uh, Armoros is, is willing to uh, help him out. Yeah, yeah. That, so that's long and short of it. I mean, they also look a little similar, I would say. Um, yeah. Certainly, just in terms of um, kind of the the hair and their sort of slightly contemporary appearance and that kind of thing, they've got a certain similar look to them. So it's, um, it yeah, it's not completely um, unexpected when you end up taking over as him because I don't know about you guys. First time I saw Armoros, I I sort of thought, wow, he looks just like Enoch. I wonder if you know. Yeah, he's going to play like more of a role than, yeah, more of a role than the other the yeah. other um, various fallen angels that you fight you fought up to this point. Yeah, because Armoros doesn't have like you know that that black armor that all the, uh, the yeah other the, fallen the angels. The he doesn't cy- ever wear Cyclops, that, does he? Uh, that Cyclops armor. No, he, he right. hmm. yeah, no, no, no. He does because oh, you does have okay. you fight him before you fall into the darkness, and he does have that Cyclops oh, armor. That's right. You yeah. just break it off him, don't you? Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Um, and unfortunately, he kind of he has a bit of a messy end. Uh, he gets corrupted <laughs> by the darkness, and then appears later on as a land shark, essentially. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, and yeah, you, uh, basically you're fighting Azrael, uh, who's the who's meant to be the final boss, but uh, then um, Armoros appears and you kill him, and he's kind of just like grateful that you just killed him. Thanks yeah. for that. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then the game ends weirdly. Um, it, it, it's kind of anticlimactic, I find the ending. Um, even now, playing it again. Mm. Um, it, it, the, what like you find this container and then. Yeah, you Somebody find the container that's, to me. that's meant to have. Um... Ah, Christ, I forgot the name. Samania, Samania. I can't remember the the name of the final fallen angel that you should be fighting. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who, who is at the um, very top Semiazo, of the tower? That's it. Samiazo, that's it. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's the the you know the leader of the fallen angels who convinced mm. them all to fall to earth and everything. And um, yeah, there's this giant container, and you open it up, and he's not there. And then <laughs> yeah, Lucifer the, the, gets on the phone and just sort of says. He he must have basically um, broken up and drifted away in pieces that or some words to that effect. You know he's he's yeah. moved on. Oh um, yeah, he's and, either you know he died on the way down or whatever. But yeah. basically, yeah, it's uh, yeah. That that was the the thing. The words he uses is that their whole plan has just failed right at the beginning because they just lost their leader in the first yeah. ten minutes and that, that was it. <laughs> um, yeah. 
Really bizarre. Because there's no, I'm sure someone told me there was like some funny way that there's like an alternative ending where you get to fight him, but I've I've Googled extensively and there's there's nothing on that. I think I was being lied Unless to. on like extra difficulty or something, he's actually in there or it's actually in I there. When you I open can't up find the anything about it on Yeah, that YouTube would be all over so. the place by now. Someone would have had that on YouTube, surely. Um, you yeah. So maybe yeah, it's totally. just the modern day tap the buttons to wannabe for Tomb Raider to get a naked sort of storyline. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, pretty much. I I know this well. This will never happen, considering how badly this game sold and the team being dismantled now. But mm. I wonder if they thought they were going to get a sequel, and that's why they left him out of the ending. Maybe. Yeah, I don't really know. I mean, obviously, there's the usual accusations of like maybe they just ran out of money or time and just sort of hastily wrote um, an ending where they didn't even need a final boss. Um, I mean, obviously, none of us have read the book. This is based on. I don't know if that's just in the text that actually, yeah, you got there and yeah, maybe. Um, I think it's just artistic gone. merit, isn't it? That the, the the whole game as you progress leaves a lot to your own sort of mind and mm. thoughts and mm-hmm. and imagination as to what to what's happening. Uh, I always thought that the ending was very much the same. That that you sort of imagine the things that are going to happen from that point onwards. It, it mm. never struck me that they were necessarily aiming for a sequel, and I'd have been surprised if they ever did a sequel, if the studios kept yeah. together. it was. Um, I just thought that the ending was very much in keeping with the way the rest of the story of the game was told. Totally, yeah, because I just sort of saw it as, you know, well, this has been an entire game that has not been afraid to do things that most games wouldn't, for better or worse. Um and yeah, to just go, oh yeah, and there's no final boss, bye. <laughs> was, yeah, like you say, it just seemed really fitting with that. Um, didn't mind it at all for some reason. Okay, uh, moving on from the story to the presentation, which is really the first thing you notice about this game. Um, the uh, lead designer was also the character designer on Okami and Devil May Cry, and you can really tell uh that he worked on Okami because that there are a lot of uh there are a lot of visual similarities between El Shaddai and Okami. They both share that um cell shaded kind of painterly style to them. But the the thing that really uh impressed me was just the variety of different visual styles. I think mm-hmm. it's a little hit and miss. I think there are styles I prefer to others. Yeah. But um on the whole I was pretty impressed. Were there any uh, particular points in the game that really impressed or disappointed you visually? I mean, the the motorbike level, for Christ's sake. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. It stands like out, it's so it? funny how, because of the, the way most of the game looks, and obviously this is a game set, you know, far in the past, and then you get to this one floor of the tower, which is, I think it's Azazel's floor, isn't it? Yeah. And he's like, look, I've like sped time up and I've helped uh, mankind get mm-hmm. ahead around science and stuff. So it's this massive futuristic city, um, which of course we've seen ton of, like tons of those in video games. Um, but just it being in this game is like absolutely staggering because you just don't see it coming at all. And then yeah. there's a bloody, you know, like I say, there's this motorbike section and there's robots and stuff. Um, so yeah, just, just for the, the sheer like variety of it. I think that was probably that probably stood out the most for me. Yeah, definitely. A lot of the others do kind of feel more or less like they fit together. Like there's there, there's a fire and a water level, and they do feel like variations on a theme, like you would get in many other games that have a fire and a mm. water level. But yeah, but that city and the whole time, um, Azazel's talking about how um, what what 
the goal on that floor is to push forward evolution as much mm-hmm. as possible, which is, of course, what the angels are trying to do by creating Nephilim. It's mm-hmm. trying to go into this sort of hyper-evolutionary stage for humanity, um, mm-hmm. whereby they will outstrip what God intended for them. And it just shows on that um, stage, because you're fighting uh, a bunch of different robots, and then three different robots, one after the other, that then join together and form the Megazord at the end that you fight. And it's yeah, it's really <laughs> striking, because it's got loads of different gameplay styles involved in it. Um, yep. that kind of build off what you've done previously so they don't feel completely abstracted but they feel like iterations on you know when you're controlling the bike you're still you've still got that sort of one button combo mechanic yeah. but suddenly instead of um LB and RB doing your know, purification and and your special move now you you're sort of sliding underneath um obstacles and that kind of thing and you can still mm. jump and whatnot so yeah and it feels much much faster than the rest of the game as well yeah I guess kind of obviously, but um, for me, um, and this is quite early on in the game, uh, the the section of the game where you're uh, you know walking towards the Tower of Babel, yeah, um, just because you get a real sense of how big that tower is. Yeah. <laughs> um, you you see it in the background initially, but then you look down and you see all these tiny, tiny little Aztec towers, you know, mm-hmm. Aztec pyramids. Yeah. And, you, you know, I don't know if you've seen an Aztec pyramid. They're big. So <laughs> when you see them compared to... Um, this just ginormous, like you get a sense that this is actually like penetrating the atmosphere mm. almost. It's so large and so ginormous, um, and just the the color palette, the choice of colors, like the yeah. reds and oranges and blacks, yeah. and that I think for me that's what I was most impressed with all the way through the game is just a really, just a really tasteful use of color, mm. except for one section of the game, which is chapter eight. Um, <laughs> Which I might as well bring up in its entirety here now. Yeah, do it. I hate. It. I really like most of the game. I, 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 yeah, but chapter eight I despise with a passion that cannot be fully <laughs> expressed. I just look. If you're going to have the most complex 3D platforming in the game. Why would you combine it with the most visually distracting and confusing <laughs> art style of the game also? I just wanted to get the guy who designed that chapter and say, look, this is Mario Galaxy. Did you no- <laughs> do you notice how all the platforms that I jump on are really distinctive from the background? And you can really tell what's going on. Not like a like a slightly different shade of color from the background and just having that like swir- constantly swirling pa- uh, background um yeah just and there's like <sighs> there's, there's a, just a filter over the whole screen as well isn't there just yeah. on top yeah, and of it looks as well. really ugly um yeah. and <laughs> and i feel yeah and and the combat in that section isn't really great either because mm. they take away um, I really like the, which we'll get into later, I really like the weapon switching and disarming opponents and stuff, and it's the thing that makes El Shaddai unique amongst this genre. But they kind of just take that away, and then you're just mm. tapping this button over and over again. You can do slightly different combos, but nothing as interesting as what you can do with the arch, the gale, and the, mm-hmm. the veil. Um, yeah, that it's like the one blip on an otherwise great game for me that section in terms of the world design and and chapter to chapter it's quite nice well for a start it's quite nice that you never actually battle your way through 
uh, New York because that that's one thing the game's definitely got going for it. Um, but it, it's also nice that it never sort of falls into the same tropes that so many other games do. I mean, you go through caves, and I think that's maybe the only similarity you're going to get to other games. Like you go because in this you're going through like an imaginary world of glass steps, climbing buildings, and and then although the, I'll admit that the world's very austere in its design and uh, there's obviously variations different palettes it's colorful you got the ethereal worlds but the actual 3d elements never did a lot for me artistically i didn't really like the look of them especially the ones as sean mentioned with the filters over the top that's a very very mm. ugly style it's it's essentially what you create the 3d world and then you paint certain elements of that 3d world a color essentially sort of a, a technical green screen if you like and then put one texture over the top so that that texture will appear to move with the camera over over the surface mm-hmm. and it's a very sort of cheap looking um style that you would create when you're first using photoshop and you think that the, you know lens flare <laughs> is the greatest thing that you've ever seen in a program and then you start overlaying all these layers and and, and it can be quite not necessarily distracting but um in my case, very visually unappealing. However, when the game went 2D, whilst I didn't necessarily like the platform and it didn't feel very sharp, the worlds themselves were absolutely stunning. The The first one where it's all dark silhouette against a uh, sort of a, a stained glass background and, and then you've got you've got the the lighter areas where you've got the, the Nephilim essentially pushing bright orange blocks on, on this beautiful, crisp, cell-shaded world... That side of it was absolutely jaw-dropping, stunning at times to see. And um, you know, mm. if, if you ever look at those in sort of screenshots, it, it's incredibly—it's it, staggering to think that that is what the game looks like as it's running. Because whilst mm. it's clearly not the most technically taxing thing, there's very few games even come close to pulling off that kind of visual flair. And Again, I mentioned at the start that the game revels in the fact that it didn't have mass market appeal, uh, appeal, and that's you've got to certainly compliment the team on that. Um, it's a game that obviously it goes between the three D, the two D, and for some reason being on a bike, which sort of it sort of reminded <laughs> me of something like Binary Domain, where all of a sudden the whole pacing will change for a level, and I think. Um, Another game that this reminded me of was Asura's Wrath in that you don't necessarily know what's going on, and I think that also had some very similar levels where it would change the, the, the style. And if you've ever played them, you'll, you'll sort of get what I mean about the, the way the pacing of the game changes in these worlds. But when the worlds are right, and I'm talking about in the 3D element, when they are right, they are a joy to play. But for me, there were, there were few and far between. We mentioned at the start you've got the, the black discs um, with the most obnoxiously annoying headache inducing flashing backgrounds and irritating music Um, but even then there's no doubt you will look at any screenshot of that game and you will immediately know that that is El Shaddai because it is so distinctive Mm. Um, Mm, totally and it whilst I'm sure people are getting under the fact that I'm really not that keen on the game it's a shame when you get a studio that is so brave, so bold with a with a colour palette and willing to take those risks that they're no longer around, especially when you know they've been led by by the guy involved with with Akami, and that is maybe one of the most beautiful games we've ever made. But El Shaddai, it'll certainly sit alongside the likes of Harvest Moon, uh, Eco, and and obviously 
Akami as one of those if you're into art look at this and, and very much like art it's not for everyone want to bring up because while we're talking about the art design how it actually uses uh, visuals to communicate information to the player and um, most notably is Enoch himself um, I one of the things I really really like about this game is Enoch's design as a character not only because I feel like that white armor um really stands out and is really visually appealing to me but just the fact that they convey health using that white armor and there's never any confusion at any point in the game like how much health you have um Mm. like i'm glad that they didn't go for the health bar route because um Mm. that that kind of hud element stuff would have been distracting from the visual appeal of the game having that be integrated into the aesthetic of the game was a really smart decision and other stuff like that just like the um the way that you know when your uh, weapons are about to lose their charge and you're going to need to purify mm. them just the use of color again it's it's really smart um and it kind it kind of reminds me of the way dead space does that sort of thing as well just just making sure that you are in the game rather than having to distract you of all this needless information um yeah when you finish the game you you unlock the the ability to display the hood don't you yeah. um so, but so it's they obviously wanted- by Sorry, yeah. go ahead. Uh, sorry, you go. I was just going to say they clearly wanted the first playthrough to be without all of that, um, all of the adornments on the HUD that you would usually expect. But um, and I think that was a good idea because it really does bring you into the game uh, in the in the way that there's nothing on screen that that would be an artifice to take you out of it, basically. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I just never would have considered on a second playthrough putting that that HUD information on. I guess if you're doing score chases and that sort of thing, it might be handy to have slightly more, you know, specific information. But yeah, it gives so much information visually that I think it's it's yeah, it does everything it needs to. Yeah, it's almost you almost wonder if they put that option in, you know, post completion as if to say like, look, and even if we gave it you, you don't actually want it by this point. So <laughs> yeah, you know? um, yeah. Yeah strange i also want to briefly touch on the music um this uh anyone who you know talks to me on twitter or whatever knows that sound design and music is actually a big deal for me and i feel like in this department uh el shaddai is really a force to be reckoned with i think Mm -hmm. the music is more than on par with the uh the art design um 
I'm trying to think of some favourite tracks of mine. There, there, there was one called Heaven and Earth in Resonance, which is just a really subtle version of the main theme. Um, and just, it's really well put together. It knows, it knows when to ratchet it up to, you know, 11, where, you know, really bombastic. Like when you're fighting the fallen angels, the music gets really dramatic and, and over the top. But when you're just walking around, it could be just like subtle piano and stuff like that. It's really impressive. Yeah, absolutely. It just perfectly matches the, the mood at any, um, any time it's it, it knows like the the soundtrack totally acknowledges the tone that any particular like, specific bit is going. And and you know you were talking about how dramatic a change the futuristic uh, futuristic city was. Mm-hmm. The soundtrack complete you know acknowledges that as well. It yeah. goes from this orchestral kind of music to an electric guitar. Mm-hmm. Um, it just really you know it's it's rare that you see music and art integrated so well together i I say rare it's more common these days but it always really impresses me when um a developer realizes that those two things combined can actually be better than both of them individually um anyway let's talk about the thing that no is kind of the most important thing about a game which is the gameplay um now uh, the core of the game is its uh, 3D brawler combat system, but it has a bit of a twist. Uh, Sean, would you mind uh, explaining how the combat works in El Shaddai? Well, there's a couple of things that are unusual about it. One's the fact that you only have one attack button, um, and it's and all the moves you have are um, activated either by... Obviously, you just tap the button repeatedly for your, your standard combos. Um, you then have uh, attacks that you activate by holding the attack button, um, which will then do sort of charge attacks. And then you have attacks where if you pause for a second and then, like, you know, say you're halfway through a combo, you then stop attacking and then tap it and it'll do a slightly different attack. And they have um, sort of different ap- different uh, applications, like the, you know, the, the pause and then tap one, that's your guard breaker. Um, and when you hold the button there, your charge attacks there for... Um, basically, while you're charging, you can soak up one hit, and you then um, release it, and then you do much more damage if you soak up one hit while you're charging. Yeah, it's, it's almost like a the counter attack, um, almost. Yeah, yeah, totally. But yeah, the really interesting thing about the combat system is that you have these these three weapons: um, the arch, the gale, and the veil, and they all have uh, different um, uh, different sort of uh, attack styles. The the arch is this just sort of it's like a sort of uh, like a bladed bow shape thing um, which is like your sort of fast uh, close melee weapon. The gale is like a series of like floating things that hover around you and you can sort of <laughs> throw them at enemies um, from uh, like a distance away. And then you've got the veil which is like this giant shield but then breaks into two halves and becomes these like really heavy gauntlets. What's interesting is that you steal um, these weapons off the enemies as you weaken them, you can then uh, take the weapon from them. And there's a sort of paper, scissors, rock uh, relationship between the three of them. So 
you know, say you uh, you begin a fight and you've uh, got a certain weapon, and then three enemies spawn. You then have to sort of plan your route through the enemies, as it were, in the, like the most efficient way. Like I've got this weapon, so I should kill this guy first, and then when I take his, that'll make me more efficient against him. So then I'll kill him, and then kill his friend, and um, and then more enemies appear, and you have to sort of constantly rethink um, the sort of you know the route you're going to take through the enemies. And I, I thought that even though um, the enemies don't change all that much throughout the game. Um, I really enjoyed the combat system. I thought it, it kept, it you know, remained quite fresh throughout the entire thing. Yeah, I, I was going to say. Um, I, I think, apart from the just general aesthetic of the game and the and the sound design and the music, I think this is one of the strongest elements of the entire game. I think the combat system is really clever in that it's simple to grasp, but it's the application that's difficult, like mm-hmm. execution. Um, and having like the arch and the gale and the veil are really distinctive in terms of you know like the veil has very deliberate like animation to it and it's really hard to break out of an attack once you've uh, triggered it so you really have to be aware of the enemies around you whereas the gale is much more quicker you don't have to worry too much I, I, a lot of people have complained about the enemies not being varied enough, and I, I think that's completely valid. Like, they could have put more enemies in here, but because I haven't really experienced a combat system like this in any other game, I, I was kind of just happy going through the motions yeah. over and over again, just because I, I, I'm not going to experience this anywhere else. Um, I never felt like I was in a situation where the combat system was failing me at any point. Like, I I was at fault if stuff was going wrong, which is exactly the way you want combat to feel. Um, yeah, I, not, now, Carl, I, I have a feeling that you feel differently from <laughs> the rest of us. Yeah, I absolutely loathed the combat. And <laughs> by loathed, I'm probably being very kind. Um, it was detestable in every sense of the word for me I admire the concept of one button combat or two if you want to twin it with what was essentially right bumper or I'm assuming R1 on the the Playstation and Mm. uh, obviously you alter your attacks by altering the cadence of the the button presses Um, it it sounds good in concept it didn't so much work for me Uh, the 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 construction of your combos in games like Devil May Cry and Bayonetta and anything else in the genre, uh, pretty much, it felt far stronger for me. I, in, ter- in terms of fighting the enemies, they were repeated too long. Each enemy encounter took far too long. And um, except for the bosses, I understand the bosses, although even some of them went too long. On one, he went through 14 phases of change before he ended, um, <laughs> which which is just far too far too much. Um, the weapons, I didn't just dislike the appearance of them. I also didn't like the way that they worked. I hated the fact that the enemies had the ability to interrupt you mid-attack, but not you, them, mid-attack, because there was no half-frame animation, um, which which is a little bit tragic. Um, I Again, I, I kind of liked the idea of, of the, you know, the, the rock-paper-scissors mechanic, but it just didn't feel like it was as solid as it should have been. It wasn't as clear as it should have been. And the enemies, aside from obviously repeating too much, 
had a really sort of it was the complete opposite of what you saw with the worlds they were so it's like you can imagine them being sketched up in a lunch break and 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 that is such a shame when you consider that um that it came from the same character artist as Devil May Cry which has some of my favorite ever enemy design in a game and and that was what I believe 1997 so it, it 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 all hurts so much because, like I said at the very start of the show, I was so desperate for this game to be brilliant, but I've played so many other games in this genre that are just better in every single department. Um, now, I, I only say this because I want you to, you know, brace yourself for all the forum feedback. You <laughs> you are you are in the minority in this uh, viewpoint. Um, a lot of people have come out and said that the combat system is one of the things that they really liked about the game. Um, and I, I'm just interested, did you not... like? Because one of the things I really like about the combat system is the um, like the purification kind of... They, they've kind of tried to put the, uh, the frill of reloading into a 3D yes. uh, brawler. Now, that was and, good. That was, and the animation in particular, especially for the arch... <laughs> is one of my real positives because it looked cool every time he purifies the arch. I don't, yeah, he's essentially but, unsheathing the sword yeah, again. It looks almost, really it's almost like cool. a, it's like reloading combined with a taunt, almost, isn't it? Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. That's exactly. It's, it, <laughs> yeah. It, it's that whole sort of you know, a, a samurai wiping the blood off his sword mid mid combat, yeah. and it's yeah. Um, yeah. that was in particular very good. It was. As you said, it was essentially mixing sort of an active reload with 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 the taunt, and that, that is a perfect explanation for it. And I love the concept that the attacks get weaker if you don't do it and you pick your moment. That was mm-hmm. good. I, th- I think the thing that I was really impressed with, though, is that if you just purify it normally, um, you're open to attack. So there's this risk of um, I need enough space to purify. But if you weaken an enemy to, to the point where you can snatch their weapon off of them, mm-hmm. um, you get you essentially get a free purification without any risk of any enemy attacking you. And so what I found is if you're playing El Shaddai properly, you should never have to purify uh, your weapon. You should always just be constantly snatching enemy weapons and changing it up. And that that's kind of why I fell in love with the combat is because... Mm-hmm. I was constantly having to change my tactics up just to make sure that the enemies would never ever get an opportunity to get a hit in. Um, and you know, and the veil and the and the gale and the and the arch are so different in terms of their applications that, despite the fact that that you know it is essentially kind of like a one button two button combat system, uh, it didn't feel it didn't feel like the combat was dumb. Yeah, um, I, I certainly. Um I enjoyed it, and I certainly had points where I was interrupting enemy attacks. Um, I was being interrupted quite a bit, but um, it depended on the weapon I was using and the enemy I was trying to interrupt, but I definitely had that happen to me. Um, And what I ended up doing was, within the fairly tight constraints of it, I was actually able to knock a few enemies back, particularly with the arch, this was, um, and then, let's say, some of the big sort of the giant hulking enemies that have the the veil uh, later on in the game, I'd knock that enemy up into the air, juggle them in the air, and then do the sort of spinning uh, wheel down on him. 
Yeah, yeah, that's, that, that's pretty much how it rinsed the end me. of the game. Yeah, I just that um, but, <laughs> but then after that, I would then switch to a different weapon. Um, in all honesty, if it was multiple enemies, not often the gale. It would tend to either be the arch or the veil. And what I found with the veil was I really liked the fact that it was slow to start off, but by the time you got to the end of a combo, you were actually going pretty quickly. Um, that's right, it, gathers so you really speed during the combo, speed doesn't up. it? Yeah, that was quite a nice touch. So you had to be careful when to have space when you started off, but by the end of it. Even an enemy that was coming in behind you, chances were they'd get clipped as you pulled your fist back to hit an enemy that was in front. So um, I actually felt that I was able to be relatively creative. And that's coming from someone who, you know, I've completed Bayonetta, I've completed DMC this year. I can play these games, but I don't consider myself particularly good at them at all. With this, um, I actually felt like I was able to dispatch most enemies pretty swiftly, um, even when we're talking some of the end, um, end matches where it's like, two or three groups of four just on one platform. Um, I, I'm not entirely sure how they did it, but I felt like I was getting more powerful throughout the game, which is obviously the idea, because you know, it's supposed to be... I definitely felt like fights were getting more manageable and more controllable um, and shorter as I went on through the game, even though there was more enemies. I mean, I'm not going to lie and say that I played the combat absolutely perfectly. I, I don't think any of us could sit mm. here and categorically say that we did. No. Um, in, in comparison to other games, maybe I didn't take as much care as I should have. Uh, I probably should have taken more care because it would have stopped me hearing that stupid line that Enoch constantly says of, <laughs> but what does he say? Everything's fine. Everything's, it's okay, everything's fine. Everything's yeah. not fine. You <laughs> just fucking line. died. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's... You know, it it could have been, but I'm not going to say it's as it's. No, I am going to say it's the worst of combat I've played in a game like that. But I could have played it better. Um, okay, I, I there are a couple of other things linked to combat that I br- briefly want to mention. I don't think we can talk about them in much detail. Uh, but there's this kind of special uh, charge, like attack that you charge. Like Enoch starts glowing red, and you can press a button that triggers like a special move for your weapons, which it, it, like almost every game of this type has that sort of yeah. thing, um, which is really useful during boss fights mostly because it not only does it release an extremely powerful attack, but it also fully recharges your health. And you so don't I take often, damage during it either, yeah. Yeah, and I, and I often found myself uh, saving it uh, for when uh, Enoch was completely bare. Um, yeah, yeah, and, definitely. And using it then. Um, also, there's the, uh, which uh, Carl actually briefly mentioned, the fact that when you die, the, the game actually gives you a second chance by having to mash all the buttons on the controller until you uh, essentially, because the animation is like Enoch closing his eyes and you're basically mashing yeah. it to prevent him from shutting his eyes completely. Um, I, I thought that was a clever way of handling it. Um, it's it's an speci- odd one because I'm going to interrupt you there, Josh, which I don't normally like to do, but I actually have friends who can't play this game for that reason. Because they, they have because reduced... You- uh, dexterity in the hands that they can't actually do anything that involves oh, button shit. mashing or real-time events um we don't obviously there's a friend of the show from game burst leg of time doesn't like anything like that but i've got further friends mm. who um some of you may know him by his, his twitter handle rare defect he, he's uh, he's got dis- uh, a disability and he can't play anything that involves yeah. button mashing and that that's a shame for a game like that and oh, they should wow. have counted it yeah. because uh just to draw attention to a, the superior game in bayonetta they obviously inputted elements didn't they to to make the game like that playable for people 
with the oh, with the one button combat that was that was you know more inviting in that regard. And whilst I personally am not against the the track and field element of, of reviving life, um, it, it's not the first time it's ever been done in a game to revive life. But uh, yeah, it didn't. It didn't feel like it belonged in keeping with the rest of the game, with the combat being obviously about the timing of one button uh, and how you press it and, yeah. and the pacing of the game being so slow and deliberate. And then to stay alive, it's like mash A and X and LB and RB. And, and you could do, I think, up to four or five before it was actually game over. Yeah, but In theory, you could do it as many times as you liked. It's just at a certain point it became... Uh, unavoidable. You just wouldn't be able to hammer the buttons fast enough. Yeah. Because um, yeah. the window got lower and lower and lower, and you essentially had to hit the. It, you didn't have to actually. I I never jammed the triggers or the RB uh, the bumpers. I just jammed my thumb on all four face buttons. Um, not even that quickly, actually. I I, I never died sufficiently um, often to require to to the point where I wasn't able to revive myself. Because um, it was like maybe two or three times a level, but yeah, the first few, I think the first three are actually quite generous. Yeah. How, especially yeah. the first one, you, it almost doesn't close his eye at all. Um, mm. where, whereas I think by the, by after your fourth death, it's it's sort of right on the starts on the, blinking on the line, almost yeah. Yeah, straight away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, yeah. I I I liked that. I like the way it gets mm. more difficult because it's sort of yeah, definitely. So it means that as a as a fight drags on, you sort of it's sort of forcing some of the exhaustion onto the player. And you yeah. sort of, and it's like every time you go down, it's like, God damn it, I can't afford to die again. Like I, really, you know, because <laughs> every time you go, like, oh, it's trying to jam on the buttons. Um, and it, yeah, and it sort of mirrors how presumably poor Enoch feels as he's getting the crap beaten out of him. Um, now I want to touch on the fallen angel fights, which uh, show up. Uh, seemingly at random, all the way through yeah. the Often campaign. sort of just before a boss fight, but but not always. Yeah. yeah really um, and they're not conflicts that you necessarily have to win. And I, I don't know who actually wrote the uh, unwinnable uh, comment uh, that was me. on the... Ah, right. Okay. The, well, are, you ca- well the, the thing... The reason I put that is, even when you win the fight, it doesn't actually... You're not beating that boss... They are yeah. just whether you win or lose, it doesn't actually change what happens. It just Indeed. changes the text, the the line that they read, and then it fades to black and comes back up again, and on you go. So that's yeah. why I put unwinnable it, because they are seemingly at random. It doesn't really matter aside from making you feel pretty good about yourself if you can yeah. dispatch them. Um, but those fights in particular seemed to get easier as the game went on. I thought. And I feel like it's not because they're actually getting easier, it's just because maybe, you know yeah, their patterns really yeah, well by the end of the game. Yeah. Um, I, I I think they're too frequent. I think I would have liked them if they were a bit more um, like rare, like one every level or something like that. Mm. But it does feel like at times there's like two or three every chapter at some points. Um Obviously not in the more, you know, obviously not in uh, chapter eight or after that chapter nine where Enoch's trying to figure out what he's doing. (laughs) Um, But yeah, no, I I think the boss battles themselves are actually really fun, though. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I agree. I think the the actual sort of full boss battles, not necessarily the Fallen Angel uh, ones, but the the sort of full boss battles felt a little... 
I guess kind of a little too similar to what I would expect from this kind of game. I've already said it's yeah. very much you're stood in a platform, giant boss in front of you, particularly for the the fire nephilim fight, or it's an arena battle where, like with the land shark um, armoros um, and a couple of the other fights, you've got um, you know the one where you've got the two giant boars and the one where you've got the one giant boar. Those kind of feel <laughs> like fights that would have been in other games and and you understand pretty quickly something's charging at you get out the way it's going to hit the environment um something's slamming its fist down jump out the way and then you're going to have a chance to hit the fist that that's fairly for a game like this that's doing so much that's kind of atypical it felt very standard in a certain extent but they were still fun i still enjoyed them and i still enjoyed you know that it's often the rule of three and you kind of you rinse and repeat until you're done and it even has the color stages uh, through it doesn't it so you start off with either blue or green then you go to yellow then you go to red and then boss fight over so um so yeah i guess i, I felt like they were unusually straightforward uh, given everything else in the game so the other the other side of this game is the uh, platforming and now there's 3D platforming in this game and there's also 2D platforming in this game um now i've already kind of expressed uh, some negative feelings <laughs> towards the uh, 3D platforming in this game uh, chapter 8 for me kind of stands out as like the worst example of 3D platforming in the game but the 3D platforming is never particularly strong no. at any point in this game. Um, uh, what, do, do you guys disagree with me, or do you, do you kind of feel the same? It's hard or? to disagree with you, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're all going to agree, because like I said early on, there's points at which you don't know there's a gap in the walkway because it looks like solid yeah, floor yeah. and you fall through it. Um it, it does the, the whole shadow under the character when you're in midair, but that shadow's very small and it's moving very quickly yeah. and it's really difficult to tell if you're going to land on a platform. Um, it also, you mentioned uh, Chapter 8. In Chapter 7, directly before that, the underwater level, there's some fast-moving platforms and it's all blue wash and it, it's sometimes quite difficult or you're having to wait a long time for the platforms to come. Um, so, uh, And then there's, uh, I think it's Chapter 10, maybe, where you've got a lot of moving... They're all grey blocks on black background, so you can see them easy enough but there's points there uh where it's actually really difficult the the level where there's all the clock hands moving as well um and you're yeah. jumping up one into the other it's really difficult yeah, to know that, where that you're going to land really awkward and the, the whole thing yeah. could have been countered by simply adding a 3d camera but it's they use yeah. the fixed camera mechanic which aside from incredibly limiting the 3d platforming um to you know hair pulling tedium at times <laughs> also would have allowed you to take in the beautiful worlds that they created so I, i'm yeah. not entirely sure why they, they they sort of chose the fixed camera angle it's very it's very strange in a game where it's immediately lends itself to actually having a movable camera well i i, I know exactly why they didn't let you move the camera it's because they they want you to see the world in a particular way they have a particular composition in mind like they've They've created this game to be a painting, and that's exactly what they want the entire experience mm. to be. Um, so if you move if you move the camera around, suddenly you'd notice all this awkward stuff going on outside of the frame that they don't particularly want you to mm. see. <laughs> um, but I feel like 
this is a I love the aesthetic of the game, but I feel like this is definitely a case where it kind of harms the gameplay. Um, you were talking about it being difficult to um, kind of know necessarily where you're going to land. Mm. For me, that was mainly because some of the filters they laid on the screen actually made the Im- the image of the game look almost 2D, and I lost yeah. a sense of depth perception. Mm. Yeah, um, that was like that's you know. T- completely necessary for um a 3d uh 3d platforming and it's something that um you know stuff like mario uh 3d land mario galaxy does extremely well is just visually communicating exactly where everything is using color and using Mm -hmm. art i wouldn't Um, even just necessarily limit it to the mario games i mean we can name countless 3d platformers through time that actually do a proper job of 3d platforming that that are also you know not exactly high budget games going back to the, the even the PlayStation era probably not Croc because that was just awful but other ones <laughs> El Shaddai is better than Croc <laughs> yeah oh yeah in terms of being a game it's probably just better than Croc but in terms of platforming it is definitely better than Croc <laughs> now I was going to say actually now I don't, I don't think it's the best 2D platforming there is but I, I found the 2D platforming pleasant like it wasn't like I didn't find it as um, annoying as the 3D platforming. There weren't points where I was confused about where I was landing and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and especially there's a section where there's like waves, um, you know, that are rising and crashing, um, and it, it really looks like a Japanese uh, painting mm-hmm. at that point. Uh, all of that stuff I found really pleasant because it, it almost felt like the 2D platforming was just a method of them going, look at this beautiful thing we're showing you. What you're doing is not going to be that complicated. We just want you to look at our beautiful art and, and stuff like that. And, yeah, it, it, you know, it's n- it's nothing compared to, like, say, you know, a Rayman Origins or a Mario or a Super Meat Boy. But it, it it's wasn't, not supposed to be. It, it's it not wasn't, supposed to be that fast at all. Yeah, you'd yeah. Miss the background yeah, yeah. if if it was um, yeah. to a certain extent. Um, yeah, no, I, I really liked the 2D. It did make me actually wonder um, because you do have some enemies to fight on those 2D sections. It did make me wonder if not necessarily the whole game, but if actually this could have all been done 2D and to similar effect because without the camera in the 3d world there are points at which you've got alternate paths that become very difficult to spot because until you move very close to them the camera doesn't shift to let you know there's a path there yeah. um mind you god yeah, of war does that, that all the time th- yeah yeah it's, it's true yeah it had that kind of feel didn't it um but th- that flattening effect actually uh, was was dampened by the fact that they had platforms that sometimes were set separate uh, entities but butted up to another that you could just run straight over and other times you'd think that was the case and you'd end up dropping off a platform whereas in the 2d sections that just wasn't an issue at all you always knew where you could jump to if you went one way and it was a dead end you knew fine well it's because at the end there was a little health pickup or a weapon change icon and then you went back the way and thought okay this is the way i'm to go so rarely was i ever confused as to where i was supposed to go um yeah, the the 2D stuff just felt like uh, a little bit of a drop in pace um, because I knew I could take my time with it for the most part, aside from those um, sort of challenge levels that we mentioned where the darkness is rising. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was just a chance to take in some of the weird and wonderful art that they were creating. And I think it did feel like they were 
they were cutting loose on some of the constraints from the 3D parts and just saying, let's make this really beautiful. Not terribly challenging, but just great to traverse through. And a lot of dialogue over the top that was really great. Um, in particular, the 2D section I liked was... Um, this was almost more 3D than, or sort of 2.5D than any of the others. Um, when you are uh, Enoch in, and you're frozen, recovering from being consumed by the dark, um, and you're running along, and Ishtar's in the background fighting in the sort of um, white ah, yeah, sequences yeah, yeah, behind you. Yeah. That was really great because the whole idea was this is just Enoch fighting his way out of the darkness, but at the same time, this is kind of the effect he'd have taking in the world around him being frozen. Yeah. Um, where he's getting information coming in, but he can't do anything to change what's going yeah. on. Uh, yeah, I thought it was really We've good. We've not talked about the um, the bit near the start where 300 years pass, <laughs> and it's <laughs> yeah, and it's all just yeah. Enoch like just trying to find the Tower of uh, Babel, Babel, Babel. Um, it and can't yeah, that's be that big, fun... can it? You're sorry. It can't be that it can't big. Be that can big. It? Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> 300 years to find a massive tower. <laughs> but that that bit's so <laughs> weird. Uh, it's like you say, it's just it's this little sort of 2D fighting bit but it kind of doesn't really matter what you do I don't think um, mm. and it's just pictures and voices just sort of detailing the way that Enoch go, goes through like all these different names because people start trying yeah. to hunt him and stuff um, yeah just a, a really sort of interesting way of going like oh yeah and then 300 years passes and loads of stuff happens uh, <laughs> and sort of giving you a taste yeah. of that but without mm. having to go through it in explicit detail you know but that's it. They use the 2D platforming bits as probably the best method of storytelling and sort of filling in the gaps because obviously, obviously you're not as focused in, you're not as dialed in on, on the, the 3D platforming where you can't really, you know, you're really focused on that one jump or if you're in the combat, whereas in the 2D it's a lot more, as, as you said, it, it, it's a whole slower pace to, to, the, to platforming games in general. So you're able to yeah, take it in, yeah. and obviously, as James mentioned, uh, the, the 2D section where you see Ishtar fighting highlighted the game for me from a, from a visual yeah, aspect. Absolutely stunning. Uh, before we get into the uh, forum correspondence, I just wanted to briefly chat about a horrible, horrible bug that inflicts uh, 360 users. Um, now, essentially, what happens is. Um, during combat, if uh, if you hit an enemy, uh, defeat the enemy, the screen goes to black and then comes back again. And th uh, this apparently gets worse and worse during the game. Now, I I'm assuming most people who have gotten to this point in the podcast have probably um, played the game already. But if you're one of those people, and there are those people who have decided, I don't really care about spoilers... Um, uh, I just want to hear about this game and see if it's something that I'm going to be interested in buying. Um, if you have the choice, I would avoid the 360 version simply because this bug sounds like it's incredibly crippling. Um, I'd like uh, Darren Foreman uh, of Kane and Rince was the one who brought it to my attention because I, I frankly had no idea it even existed before this podcast uh, as I was a, a PS3 uh, user. And... Um, uh, from, and Darren actually got this bug during his playthrough of the game, and it sounds like it essentially makes the game unplayable. I don't know if any of you guys have seen it firsthand. At no, all. I haven't. No, no I mean, I, it was fine. I originally played through the game on the PS3, and it was just fine. Um, and then I sort of started a 360 playthrough just to refresh my memory for this, um, but I'd only got a few chapters in, so 
Um, but yeah, real shame though. Especially when you consider that the team won't have even yeah. been given a chance to fix it since they all got sacked before the game even came out. So, <laughs> yeah, shame. Yeah. They don't even have to pay the $50,000 to patch it now either. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, from a bit of research, I never had it myself, but a bit of research is it seems to be linked to one of the achievements that gets unlocked uh, in the in right. the 2D level for hitting the the uh, women. The That sounds terrible. <laughs> you know, no, loop that. I know what you mean. Let's, let's yeah, have a loop of that. The, the, like, li- yeah, <laughs> the, the like little floating... Women. I, I don't know what the characters are. I think they're the mothers of something, the, the name of the character, and you've got to kill 50 of them for an achievement. Uh, and in research, it seems like people that pop that achievement at the point going through the game um, have, therefore, have then suffered it when they've gone back to it. Um, I don't know whether mm. that is strictly the case, but the when I, when I searched the forum specifically after Darren reported it, it seemed that everyone who had it acknowledged that they did in fact have that achievement. Right. I mean, because there's no point where it's actually necessary to take them out, is it? Is it, is it just for the achievement? No, no. No, I, I don't think you, I even You can just run past so. them. I, so, I, yeah, um, I guess the advice is if you have to play it on the 360, just don't hit women. Yeah. Basically. Um, <laughs> and even if you don't have to play it on the 360, don't well, hit women. Well, yeah, I mean, either way. I mean, you'll, you'll, you know, you'll miss out on that sweet Chivo, but I think you'll, uh, I think you'll live with that. There, there isn't some awful, just gaudy... Badly done, but in bad taste. Name for that achievement, is there? I hope not. Because no. um, the the way recent games have gone, there could be. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think it was called Bros Before Hot. No, it wasn't. Um, <laughs> was it Smack My Bitch Up? Yeah, no, something. Like no, that. different one. Okay. Okay. Uh, now <laughs> we're going to. On that note, um, we're going to move on to the forum correspondence. Uh, James, could you read Scrussell's? Yeah. Scrussell says, El Shaddai is a strange and somewhat basic game, but it's one I'm very glad to have experienced. I was interested in it for right from the initial announcement, but it took me a while to get around to actually buying it and yet more time to finish it. It was always one of those games that stuck in the back of my mind. One of the ones I always intended to buy or finish later down the line after I was done with whatever my attention was mainly focused on at the time. With most games that go off my radar like that, I tend to eventually forget and I end up not playing them at all. But not with this game. I went out of my way to give time to this one and I'm really happy I did. The first thing that strikes you about the game is how unbelievably gorgeous it is. That was the main thing that first piqued my interest in the game, as well as the fact that the lead designer of the game, Takiyasu Sawaki, uh, was also a character designer for Okami and Devil May Cry. Someone whose artistic endeavours I've appreciated in the past. Words can't really do justice to how amazing the game looks. Screenshots and even video of the game don't really do it justice. Seeing it in motion, actually playing the game is something really special. Another thing I really love about it is how abstract it is. It's so unlike anything else that exists. Most games with a strong aesthetic are still usually trying to emulate something. They're often taking inspiration from some already existing style, whether that be art deco, gothic, paintings or what have you. But El Shaddai is doing something all of its own. It's even gone so far as to do away with strange lights, colours, shapes and textures. It's something so brilliant and purely expressive, ethereal and dreamlike and is something that really needs to be experienced firsthand to really understand. It's an almost transcendental experience just soaking it in. I agree, by the way. Um, The gameplay is enjoyable for the most part, though it does have its flaws. 
The combat is very simple, but it manages to be more fun than it has a right to be. All you have are three basic weapons, each with very limited moveset. Enemies also share these three same weapons, but the relationship between them actually makes fighting pretty fun and intense. Their rock-paper-scissors relationship means that to fight effectively throughout the game, you'll have to be constantly switching weapons throughout battles, tactically selecting the order of the opponents you engage in order to steal the right weapons. The the depth of the system at large is nothing compared to many other games of the genre, but it still manages to entertain throughout the story and create some interesting fights. The other major part of the gameplay, though, leaves something to be desired. The platforming does suffer a lot from the abstract art style. The 2D levels are fine, though. The jumping arc is nice and predictable, even if the levels themselves aren't very challenging, but the 3D stuff can be a bit frustrating. It can be very hard to judge the distance of your jumps when you can never really tell how close the platform you're aiming for is, or if it's even a platform at all. In some levels, you have a very strong filter over the screen too, making it even harder. Although that said, I've recently played through Castlevania Lords of Shadow, and if 3D platforming controls in that game worked as well as they did in El Shaddai, it would have been a whole lot less annoying in some parts. So I can't complain too much. Nothing in El Shaddai came anywhere near the level of aggravation induced by the music box levels in Lord of Shadow, but that's another story. The narrative of the game is another strange part. I think its quality can be assessed from different perspectives. I personally found it pretty hard to follow. Outside of the main overarching premise, there wasn't much that seemed particularly well explained. The problem is how they deliver the narrative. It's often done purely by voiceovers from unseen characters. Sometimes there's several of them and they're talking amongst themselves, so it becomes hard to work out exactly who is talking or who they're talking to, what side they're on or who they're even talking about. So... As a delivery of a strong narrative, it fails through miscommunication, but in a way I feel like it also added to the game. The way it was unclear where these voices were coming from and what they meant added to the very dreamlike feel of the game. It fit and even reinforced that atmosphere, so perhaps it was always meant to come across as confusing and unclear. And it's just another part of the abstract, abstract aesthetic. I also rather like the character of Lucifer. It's amusing hearing him casually talk to the lord of all creation on a stylish mobile phone, hearing only half of their friendly chit-chat. Despite the shortcomings of the game, it's one that I'm really happy to have in my collection. It's unmitigated exploration of what kind of worlds we can imagine and depict in a game makes it stand out as a real gem, and its mechanics become more than the sum of their parts, even if they remain fairly simple. I'd urge anyone not to pass up the chance to play this if they come across it. Uh, gr- uh, great comments there, Scrussell. Um, I, you badmouth Lords of Shadow, uh, Lords of Shadow, which uh, it, it yeah, <laughs> I I disagree. I think Lords of Shadow's platforming is actually a lot better than uh, El Shaddai, but you know, to each their own. Right, follow my ru- uh, ruin, ruin, follow my ruin. Says I adore this game, good man. El Shaddai is lauded over for not for having art direction that is stunning and vivid, but retains a feeling of opulence and a sense of faith that befits the subject matter. For this reason, it generates a most unique sense of place by creating a place that is utterly unrecognisable. The visual representation of the game is certainly the motivation I had for picking it up, and moment to moment it doesn't fail to disappoint. I had not anticipated to become so fascinated with what is, to all intents and purposes, very simplistic gameplay. In my second playthrough of the game, the appeal of the combat combat system stood out. When playing the game on a higher difficulty, the combat becomes a dance, elegantly mapping your route through the enemies to utilise favourable weapons. It changed my opinion entirely. I now feel that the combat mechanic is not basic, but subtle and satisfying. A style of combat which juxtaposes the normal beat-em-up games of this generation. 
This game is by no means perfect, though. The story draws on an opulent history of Judeo-Christian mythology, but misses greatness due to lack of exposition. The story simply doesn't have the gravity it could have. I would argue that it assumes prior knowledge of the subject matter to bridge gaps in knowledge. Of course, this isn't helped by some jarring jump cuts between scenes that help to confuse further, as distance, location, time and scale become difficult to grasp. There is, of course, a potential that this helps to generate a sense of being in a holy place, or indeed a religious and incomprehensible environment. That aside, I found El Shaddai provoked an emotional response in me. Though I'm not religious, personal tragedy at the time of playing this game made me quite sensitive to matters of faith, and it was irresistible to be affected by its presentation. The fluidity and elegance of the mechanics and art made El Shaddai feel cathartic, I will champion this game to anyone who's not yet played it. There's a lot of peculiarities to forgive, but a sublime experience is sure to be had. Okay, Carl, uh, The Sonic Mole. The Sonic Mole says, As a huge fan of Akami, I had eagerly anticipated El Shaddai's release, thanks to the involvement of its former game's character designer, Takayasu Sawaki. It was evident from previews and trailers that the game would be as visually striking as his previous work. Additionally, the ambitious and somewhat esoteric narrative the game was said to weave piqued my interest. Did it live up to my expectations? In some ways, yes, it did, but in others it simply frustrated. El Shaddai Ascension of the Metatron is a beautiful game. Its beauty, like Sawaki's earlier work on Akami, is timeless in my... In my opinion, the artistry on display in this game and its ability to beguile the player will long outlive the majority of this generation's games. It is otherworldly and ethereal, complementing the game's other main strength, its narrative, perfectly. What is particularly impressive is that the game may be consistently beautiful, but the way in which it conveys that beauty is anything but consistent. As you move through El Shaddai, the variety of Soaki's visual ideas are dizzying. One moment you're navigating a celestial vista full of soft watercolour-like brushstrokes, the next the protagonist is a silhouette against a vibrant stained-glass background. Idea after idea is flashed before the player's eyes before being discarded, never to return. It's truly breathtaking. As I said, the game's other main strong point is its ambitious narrative. The retelling of the Book of Enoch via a Japanese pop culture filter is, for me, a success. Some familiarity with the source was a help, but I can't help but be enthralled by the supernal nature of the story being told. Not only that, I found it refreshing to see this type of narrative being tackled in a video game context. Unfortunately, there are elements of the game that stop it being a true classic. Third-person action games of this ilk now exist in a post-Bayonetta landscape. A comparison may be lazy, but like it or not, it's the benchmark for games of this genre. El Shaddai's mechanics are on the most part sound, but personally I felt they do not excite in the same way that Platinum's masterpiece does, nor do they have the depth a truly great action-adventure game in this style should possess. My other main gripe, and one that had me almost chucking my 360 pad, is the issues surrounding depth perception. Time after time the platform sections became a true test of patience, thanks to the difficulty I had judging jumps between platforms. This problem made my progress at times staccato when it should not have been. This coupled with the repetitive combat dampened my enthusiasm for the game over 9 to the 10 hours I spent with it. Ultimately, I think El Shaddai will endure as a cult classic. It has all the right ingredients, a cumbersome title, esoteric storyline, an idiosyncratic aesthetic, and enough flaws to defy opinion. Would I recommend it? Yes, I would, and passionately. El Shaddai is a brave and bold artistic statement that exists in an industry haunted by the spectre of homogenization, and such ambition and individuality should let the player overlook the minor flaws I encountered in this unique game. Okay, now for your three word reviews. Right, um, I'll start, then James, then Sean, then Carl. Okay. Kevin Moore says, pretty but insubstantial. Richard Davison says, sent from heaven. Stuart Collins says, Saint and Sinner. 
Six killer. Lost interest early. The Sonic Mole says flawed but fantastic. John Cranston says visually creative twaddle. Is he being nice there or is he is he slagging? I can't tell. <laughs> but bit of both. Yeah. Uh, Jerome McIntosh <laughs> says rocking dem jeans. Ali Mitchell, <laughs> beautiful, bit boring. Game over again. I couldn't find his real name. Uh, no better game. And his red mist says Sean Bell lied. <laughs> I, I had to give props to that three word review. Not because I agree with the sentiment, but as far as a three word review goes, that tells you exactly everything you need to know about this guy's experience with the game. He believed Sean Bell. He played the game. He disagreed with Sean I was Bell, say, which is pretty much what happened. I think the, <laughs> I think the two most <laughs> negative comments there, uh, so Hayes Redmist and Six, I think they're both Midnight Resistance listeners. So if you want to swap listeners at some point, guys, that would, that would be ace. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, and now for our summaries, starting with Carl Moon. I wish I loved El Shaddai. Honestly, I really do. It's um, it should resonate with me far more. I studied art; it appeals in that regard. I studied game design; it's somewhat a game, um, I guess. And <laughs> you know, I, I like beating people up in games of this genre. And for some reason, those three elements just didn't come together to create the game that I was hoping for. It's not unusual for me to pick faults in great games. Um, often I'll do it more so than I will in average games. So the end result is people essentially believe that I don't like great games, um, such as Josh accusing me of disliking Uncharted 2 when I, in fact I actually really like it. But <laughs> in, in, in the case of El Shaddai, I can honestly say that I don't like this game. And seldom have I ever played a game and thought in my head that not only am I not enjoying this, I hate this game. And it's it was a mix of so many factors. The the beyond abysmal 3D platforming, the boring, repetitive nature of the combat, the dull, uncreative, unoriginal enemies from what I think we can all agree is a legendary character designer and a limited weapon set that I personally just didn't find fun to use a, a, a combat input method which you know whilst I understand that they were trying to be unique did absolutely nothing for me the visuals were very hit and mix, uh, miss I enjoyed the 2D platforming to look at I didn't particularly like them to play because I thought that the controls were a bit too wavy and light and if you play a precise platformer, you, you know when it feels on and when something feels right. And this felt like it was, well, we're doing a 2D platformer, but really it's a 3D bit, so forgive us if this bit isn't quite right. It has some levels in there that are just a, <laughs> just a joke. Uh, you know, why Why they decided that you need to slide under vehicles on a bike, I don't, I don't quite know. And cha- cha- Chapter 8 is almost legendary for how poor it is. And... The the thing is, I stayed quiet earlier on when you were mentioning the music, and it's it's odd for me because I'm a huge 
lover of music and games, I went on for so long on the Castlevania podcast about how the the soundtrack resonated with me and how it stayed with me for the last 15 years. And the music in El Shaddai, I hated it for staying with me for longer than 15 seconds. <laughs> it was, it was a, a mix of either annoying and irksome that was just... You know, stuck in your head as you played, or um, just ill-fitting. It, or, in my opinion, ill-fitting. But even more so with the sound effects, the combat sounded bad. The, the I've already mentioned the finger snap, which was the coolest thing when I started it. But by the end, I was tearing my hair out because you hear it constantly in the game, and then when you pause the game, and then when you unpause the game, and. The even the menu sounds as you're going up and down and choosing your file is just so. It, it, honest, a, a game has never come together and brought so many elements together that I dislike as much as El Shaddai, and <laughs> it it feels so ridiculous because it feels like I'm bullying it for the sake of bullying it or trying to be clever, but it's honestly how I feel. I just the whole thing felt like a chore, and it was. We can all pin them down to, say, a movie that other people have raved about and you just look at it and you go, I just don't see why it was popular. Or you've read a book and you go, I don't know why that's a classic. That video game for me is El Shaddai. If I could erase a game from my memory and never remember it, and not for the sake of it being a great game, it would probably be this. My life was better off when I wasn't playing it. And the best thing that happened to me playing the game was the moment I completed it because I knew I didn't have to restart it. And I'm sorry for being honest and brutally honest and and crossing what is quite clearly other people's opinions. Obviously, the three on here don't feel the same way as me, nor did the correspondence. But I'm not going to sort of lie or or try and soften the blows for the way I feel against the game. That said... The game is bold, brave, and original. And you can't help but level those as compliments in a game where... In an industry, sorry, where games are all too often throwing you in New York or making you fight, you know, shoot these enemies or or do that. This game doesn't do any of that, and it deserves credit for that. I didn't necessarily enjoy it, but I appreciate what it intended. And... You probably should try the game for at least trying, or at least being brave enough in the in the industry to do something as bold and as brave as that. I I myself won't return to it ever again. Um, I'll be happy if I never have to talk about it ever again. But if you do want to try something different, then then by all means, there are a few games that are like El Shaddai in any way. Thankfully. Um, okay. Um, so, so that now, should be about an eight out of ten by current video game uh, review standards. <laughs> yeah. Take. yeah, seven out, seven out okay. of ten. Um, the listeners at home are probably guessing what order I've um, done these summaries in. Um, James Carter, <laughs> um, your summary next. I really liked El Shaddai. Um, the platforming, I, I'm going to get out of the way because the 3D platforming is just. It's really infuriating. That's the one time when I did get sick of hearing the finger snap because that was inevitably the time where I'd just repeatedly fall off the end of a platform. And 
not necessarily think it was my fault. I just felt I didn't have enough information to go on in terms of those sections. But the platforming sections just became what I had to do to get to the next combat sequence. And I really did enjoy the combat in the game. I I felt like I was learning it all the way through the game. And my learning it is probably what made me feel like the game was getting easier as it went in, in step with Enoch becoming more powerful which is the narrative of the game, which I have to say the narrative really grabbed me. We don't see many games in this setting with this story based on a religious text um, with such a strange background to it. I think there's so many things that scream Okami to me about this game, not in terms of the way it looks or plays necessarily, although there are similarities, but just in terms of the steps being taken to make a game that is something different. And let's face it, I walk around with a card in my back pocket that says 10 10 James points for originality. And much to Carl's chagrin, it means that I don't rate sequels as highly as many other people do. And a game like El Shaddai, I'm willing to look past what I don't like about it because of what I really do like about it. And the watercolour, the sort of fluid aesthetic to it, the combat, um, the story being told, the voice acting I thought was really great. I played with English voice acting. I thought it was fantastic and it really fed into this uh, intangible story, but the whole game's supposed to be intangible. It feels like you're in this environment that you can't really get a handle on, you don't really understand. Um, and and that's where Enoch is. And so the fact that I felt like that playing it is just something that I've rarely, if ever, experienced in video games. So um, I'm overlooking some flaws that probably shouldn't be overlooked, uh, but I'm willing to do so because of what the game offers that is just pretty much unique and that's not a word that can really be leveled at many games i don't think so yeah i i adored what i played uh, of the game i'd like to go back and play it on harder difficulties because i think the combat could have the potential to get better and better uh, and i'd highly recommend it to anyone looking for something just a bit different frankly um yeah so when I first played El Shaddai, I was disappointed by it. I liked it, but it wasn't quite the experience I had built it up to be in my head prior to launch. Having played it again for a second time, I've actually kind of fallen in love with it a bit. Um, and I kind of lump it in the same category as games like The Darkness for me, in that I love it, but I completely acknowledge that it has flaws it has problems um like the we've talked about the 3d platforming and chapter 8 especially it's not good but the things that it does get right the aesthetic the music the sound design um the combat are things that really tap into things that i value about video games and what i just things that i really enjoy about this medium so in spite of the problems i am left feeling incredibly positive about el shaddai as a whole um experience i think the combat system is really unique and deceptively simple it, if you tr- you know really work at it really practice it it can be one of the most interesting and satisfying combat systems uh, of any game in this genre not quite on the level of something like bayonetta but what is um the 2d platforming sections weren't you know incredibly amazing but they were fun and i just appreciated a chance to really take in the art design um the story um 
it wasn't really the draw for me. It was really interesting. I like characters like Lucifer and and so forth and so on, but it really was just the the visual audio uh, aesthetic combining together um and really meshing well together that uh, drew, drew me in. Um I'd highly recommend it if you're the kind of person like me where the stuff I've mentioned is something that is really important to you. Um, It's not perfect, but I think the things it does well are worth experiencing. Sean? So I really like El Shaddai, as you know. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It just, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, exactly what you guys have said. Of course, there are problems with it. but I just found myself endlessly fascinated by how willfully awkward and unlikely the game is. Like, it feels like it shouldn't exist. Like, you know, like the, like <laughs> yeah. a game to, you know, for such a strange concept and execution to have, like, a substantial budget and to not be, you know, like a really small, um, like, indie production or whatever. Um, it's just, yeah, I... I, I like I can't process how it came about. I mean, ignoring the fact that it sold so few copies that, like I say, that you know the team was wrapped up almost instantly uh, when the game was finished. Um, it just seems like this this ludicrous like vanity project almost. Um, that just you know you just, you don't see stuff like this very often, and for that reason alone, um, it, it's such an easy recommendation. Like, sure, like you know. Not everyone's going to like it, and I accept uh, the reasons for that. I think it's just a case of, um, you know, w- figuring out what 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 it is you enjoy about video games. Um, if you are bored by a lot of, um, you know, your, your big budget box releases, um, then certainly like this is something you should check out. Um, if you're more into, you know, things actually being technically competent. Maybe, uh, maybe give it a swerve. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I absolutely love this game. It's such a shame that, that well, is, there is talk of the team getting back together or some of them. Um, I don't. Well, yeah, um, Takiyasu Suwaki now heads up Krim, who actually bought the rights to El Shaddai. Ah, okay. Um, or the rights to any prequel, sequel, etc. Right. Um, from, uh, UTV Ignition. Cool. Um, so yeah, they actually now own the rights and there is likely to be, presumably therefore, something that works. Um, I also found out that apparently there is a social like El Shaddai social battle Greer are going to be making. Right. <laughs> which sounds like one of the worst things I've ever heard of in my yeah. life. In all honesty. <laughs> it doesn't sound like that. That's not what this game is. I don't understand mm. it. But um, yeah, if, if Krim, when when they, um, you know, uh, get a, another game out, put out a, you know, a 2D downloadable game or a 2.5D game or something like mm. that, that would be much smaller budget potentially and could still, as they proved in this game, provide a platform for them to get some of the art and storytelling yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and aesthetic out there, which would be fantastic. Yeah. So yeah, Watch this space, yeah. I guess. I mean, you know, Hopefully. I know a lot of people get frustrated by um, the sort of like the narrative. Like I say, there's there's almost no exposition, um, and yet you can't yeah. really, you know, you, you can't really like think. Well, maybe they they assume prior knowledge of the the subject because it's because <laughs> you know, <laughs> even if you're incredibly religious, this is probably something. You know, it's not necessarily something you you've come across or even know much about. Um, yeah. But then, you know, 
Dark Souls. Everyone likes Dark Souls because it's a story you have to find for yourself. I mean, admittedly, Dark Souls yeah. does it in a, a more elegant way, but uh, you know, if if you're the sort of person who is okay with not having everything uh, spoon-fed to you, um, then you know, especially like say, if you if you had the patience for something like Dark Souls, don't think you'll have any issues with El Shaddai. I think you'll enjoy the fact that you will frequently be really confused about what's going on. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, of course, the, I mean, the, the differences with Dark Souls, like all the answers are there, um, whereas with El Shaddai, a lot of it is left just up to just might be in an item, yeah, item exactly. text or something, whereas in this one, I guess there are, because there are the, the free men around the place um, that give you, you know, odd pieces of text that might help fill it in. But yeah, yeah it does feel like you've got to go outside of the game to find some of this stuff yeah out. totally but I mean a but don't bit, even yeah. bother looking up stuff about the book of Enoch because it won't help no. <laughs> it really won't <laughs> no, that's true okay now for the roundup. Uh, you can play along with Kane and Rince volume 2 uh, next week is DMC Devil May Cry then Deadly Premonition Star Wing, Star Fox, Lilac Wars, Star Fox 64, the entire series we'll be covering. Tom, Clan- uh, Tom Clancy's Splinter Cell, Chaos Theory, Fahrenheit or Indigo Prophecy, depending on what side of the pond you live on. Uh, Super Meat Boy, L.A. Noire, Psychonauts, and finally Heavy Rain. Take a look at our Quick Rinse videos via the blog or on the Kane and Rinse YouTube channel. Uh, you can contact contact us on Twitter at Kane and Rince. Support us by subscribing and reviewing and or rating us on iTunes. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at facebook facebook.com slash Kane and Rince. Check out the Kane and Rince periodical. Jay puts a lot of hard work into that, so please give it a look. Uh, you can also find our Minecraft server, details of which are on the website. Join the Canaan Rinse community and have your say at com slash forum. And as I just suggested, links to all of these things and much more can be found at Um We're also selling merchandise now, uh, which you can find a link to on the site, because we've sold out. We're, uh, we're <laughs> assholes now. Uh, no, um... <laughs> Uh, we don't make much money from these uh, shirts and hoodies, but what we do make goes towards the running of the site and the podcast. We're never going to ask for donations. This is the only way we're ever going to ask uh, for money from you guys. Uh, so if you want to support the site, buy a T-shirt, buy a hoodie. It really helps. Um so it just leaves me to say thank you to James Carter, Carl Moon, and special guest Sean. Sean, please plug your words. Um, so I do a couple of podcasts. We do uh, Midnight Resistance, which you can find at midnightresistance.co.uk. Um, and I also do Joypod, which I don't think we're going to be doing much Joypod for a bit because Dave Turner's unfortunately had his house broken into and he currently has no laptop or computer of any kind, um, which is a shame. But yeah, that's uh, uh, spong.com forward slash joypod. Uh, Midnight Resistance and Joypod are some of the best podcasts out there, so you should absolutely check them out if you're a fan of Kane and Rince. Um, yeah, very much agree. Oh, yeah. Um, okay, so thank you all for listening. And now some lovely El Shaddai music to play us out. Carl, put your fingers in your ears. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Quick>. <laughs>